Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Welcome to our fourth episode of So Says Rick. Bum, 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 bum. That, that, well, you used to do that. I did, but I'm on my union break right now, so I can't. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What, what, just curious, what union is that? <laughs> the fake trumpet players union. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. And you know what? I think it's time that we stop telling the number of the episode, you know, because we've done enough. We're like big kids now? Yeah, until we've done like our like thousandth episode. Will but. we still be alive then? <laughs> That's hard to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. Welcome to another episode of So Says Rick. Excellent. Is, is bum, 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 bum. <laughs> I'm back from my break. Thank you. Wow, my sidekick's here. <laughs> oh, hey, here's something I would like you to do, if you would, please. Take a minute or two and rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening, you know, Spotify or iTunes or whatever, because that's how you climb up the the food chain in the podcast world. And that's how we'll become rich and famous from this. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> don't get your hopes up for that, honey. I won't hold my breath. No. So Father's Day is coming up, and this is our Father's Day episode. This story is about my dad. We lost my dad in 2011, so it's been a while, but your dad is still here. That's right, and I want to wish him Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, Dad. And I want to wish you Happy Father's Day, because you're a dad. You're the father of my children. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) I thought it was until you said that. Now I'm starting to wonder. Okay. Laura's dad and I drove across the country from Chicago to L.A. together once, and we drove straight through, 32 hours. And um, it's funny. The first 10 hours or so, you're just chatting, and you're talking about stuff, listening to a little music and stuff. And then somewhere around 18 or 20 hours, I started saying things that maybe I shouldn't be telling my (laughs) father-in-law. But the good thing is, then right around 25, 26 hours, he started uh, telling me stories that maybe... Maybe I shouldn't know. By the time we got here, we both kind of looked at each other and said, okay, what happens in the car stays Stays in in the the car. car. That's right. (laughs) So I recommend it for everybody. You should take a trip across the country with your in-laws. It will be very enlightening for both of you. So tell us a little bit about this story, Rick. So this story is about my dad's funeral. And you might think it's going to be all sad, but... As things go, sometimes things go wrong, and it gets pretty funny by the end. By the time we get to the graveside service, things get a, a little out of control. It was it was pretty funny, and it's the kind of story my dad would love to tell. Yeah, we love to uh, ask him to tell the same stories over and over because he would always crack himself up. He'd start laughing so hard and slap his knee, and sometimes he'd never finish the story, which was the fun of the whole thing. So this story was recorded at Tales by the Sea, which is a beautiful venue, surprisingly enough, right by the sea. Right. Well, Well, actually, the ocean. The ocean. Yes, You told me earlier there's a difference between an ocean and a sea, right? There is, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. So it was near (laughs) a salty body of water in Malibu, and the show is curated by Ann Buxey, and she does a great job putting together a show. It was a really fun night. So here it is. I don't know what heaven's like. So, 
It was November 17, 2011. I'm walking my dog down the street in North Hollywood, right outside my house, and I get a call from my sister that my father has suddenly passed away. And the days following that were just a blur. I don't remember much, but I remember just a couple days later, I was on a flight to St. Louis, Missouri. I I rented a car and drove straight to the church for the visitation for my dad before my dad's funeral the next day. And to be honest with you, going to that visitation was about the last thing I wanted to do. Because my dad was a cornerstone of our family, and I didn't know what the picture of our family looked like without him in it. I wanted to just be with my family for a while. But I only had a few minutes, about 20 minutes before the people started showing up. And we went out into the church. The casket was there with Dad in it. He looked pretty good, by the way. And people started coming in, and it turns out this thing I didn't want to do was exactly what I needed to do, was exactly what our, ne- our family needed. This visitation was supposed to last for three hours. There were so many people standing in line out the church and into the street that the visitation lasted for four hours. So for four hours, people hugged us and shook our hands and cried with us and laughed with us and told us stories about Dad and how he had touched their lives. And it was going really well until I looked back about halfway in the church and there was the high school bully that had beaten me up in grade school and high school. In a small town, you end up in the same school with the same kids and I was his favorite target. His name was Frank Bumgardner. And he was mean, he was just mean. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to talk to him today. And as a matter of fact, I'm in grief. So if I choose not to talk to him, no one will blame me. Then we'll understand. But as he got closer, I could see that he was upset. And when he got to me, he shook my hand with this great big farmer hand, the hardworking hands of a, of a man with calluses and strength in his hands. And he held my hand, and all he could manage to say was, your dad was a good man. And he walked away. That's all he said because I think that's all he could say without getting upset. And as he walked away, I felt this relief, I felt this weight lift off my shoulder that I didn't even know I'd been lugging around since I was a little kid. This anger and resentment towards Frank. And it was replaced with forgiveness and reconciliation. And it felt good. Carrying around all that crud, it weights you down. And you feel this lightness when you can forgive somebody. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't anything Frank had done or it wasn't anything I had done. It was the presence of my dad. That's the kind of dad I had. Even in death, he lived on. He was still leading us and being a presence in our lives. The visitation was good that night. And the next day, if I can say so, the funeral was great. There there were... There were a lot of sad moments and tearful moments, but there were a lot of laughs, too. My dad loved to laugh. My dad was this big, quiet farmer who didn't talk very much, but he had a a handful of stories that he would tell, and we would prompt him to tell because we loved to watch him tell his stories because he'd get so tickled when he'd he'd tell his stories. He'd start laughing, and he'd slap his knee, and he couldn't even finish his story. And it didn't matter because the joy wasn't about the story. It was my dad telling the story. 
And that's what the funeral included. It was great. And after the funeral, <clears throat> we went out to the cars and there was the, uh, the funeral procession, the motorcade of cars. There were 15 cars in the, in the procession. And in a small town, that's a lot of cars. And there was one police car in the front. And you've probably seen funeral processions in, in Los Angeles. They have police on motorcycles at every intersection, you know, so nobody. In a small town, they don't have to do that. When they see a funeral procession coming, they just pull over out of respect. Because I think in a small town, they realize they've lost one of their own. They feel that loss the way we don't feel in the big city. And it was just, there were several profound moments that day, and that was one of them. And it was quiet in the car that I was driving until my mom looked up and said, Oh, look, gas is three cents cheaper today. <laughs> we should fill up on the way back to the church. And that was completely appropriate because my dad really appreciated where the coupon shop where my mom was, what a bargain hunter she was. We drove through the country, and the cemetery was out past my mom and dad's farm, and this little bucolic setting with a church, a little white church, and behind, if I was going to shoot a movie about a funeral in a small town, it would be that. It would be all set up. You wouldn't have to do any set dressing. It was perfect. The little rolling hills, and behind, right where my dad was going to be buried, was a fence, and there were cattle grazing in a pasture right behind it. I'm like, who set up this shot? It's great. <laughs> And as we pulled into the cemetery, we saw the VFW guys there to uh, honor my dad. Except my teenage daughters, uh, they didn't understand. They go, who are the old dudes in uniform? And I explained that dad had served in Korea and that there would be a military gun salute, a three-gun salute, which I thought was plenty of explanation. It was not. <laughs> We, uh, we pulled in, and, I, and let me describe the VFW guys real quick. Um, there were four of them. Three of them had put on a few pounds since their days in the military. But they were still wearing the same uniforms they wore as young men. These uniforms fit them less like clothing and more like sausage casings. I, I, there was one guy, I swear, I bet his wife had to lube him up with Crisco to get him in his, in his uniform. So that was three of the guys. The fourth guy was just the opposite. He was the shell of a man he was before. Tiny little guy, his uniform hung off of him. And, and to make things worse, he was humped over and he couldn't even stand upright. Just humped over like this. And he, occasionally he would glance up for navigational purposes. <laughs> Other than that, he just stared at the ground the whole time. So quite a band of brothers were waiting for us at the graveside. And they had one of those tents at, right at the grave, okay? And there were two rows of chairs. My dad had uh, eight brothers and sisters, so those chairs quickly filled up with the uh, siblings and their, and their spouses. So the seven grandchildren lined up behind them with their back to the tent. What we didn't know is the VFW guys had lined up right on the other side of the tent. So between these children who didn't know what was coming and these ancient VFW guys with M16s and itchy trigger fingers was just this thin canvas. And it got to the point in the service where the minister um, gave the cue to the old captain. He was out at the front of the tent. Gave the cue to the old captain. You know, the, the minister nod. And the old captain gave the salute. 
And that was his, that was the sign for the for the other guys to shoot their guns. And they said, "Ready, aim, fire!" Seven grandchildren screamed and yelled. Ha! They almost went over the back row of chairs. In the, but then they composed themselves. It's like, oh, we're at the funeral, so let's compose ourselves. Second time, ready, aim, fire. Ah! They went in. Third time, surely they get it by now. Now the third shot, same thing. And we adults, I, and I'm using that term rather loosely, we adults are trying to hold it together because it, we know... The most solemn part of the service is coming right now. The slow and mournful playing of taps was going to come. Don't get ahead of me, please. <laughs> but what turned out that these guys at the VFW, nobody knew how to play the bugle. <laughs> so in, in their infinite wisdom, they had bought themselves... Okay, this thing really exists. A CD player in the shape of a bugle. A shiny plastic CD player in the shape of a bugle. And evidently the guy didn't know how to play the shiny plastic CD player any better than he knew how to play the real bugle because he pushed the wrong button. And instead of playing... Bum, 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 he plays Reveille. Now we're doing everything we can to hold it together because it's my dad's funeral for crying out loud. And we were doing okay until the old hunkover VFW guy, he could hear the, the guy didn't know he was playing the wrong song. He thinks he's Herb Albert. And he just likes to play. And the old VFW guy, he looked up and he said, loud enough for all of us to hear, what the hell? Okay, that's when we lost it. Everybody was laughing, and I mean everybody, the minister, the mortician, and you know what? That was completely appropriate for my dad's funeral. You know why? Because my dad would have loved that story. I can tell you, I don't know what heaven's like, but I'd like to think my dad's heaven is him sitting around a kitchen table with some of the old farmers that went before him, and each one of them has a piece of pie and a glass of milk, fresh milk with cream on the top. And nobody can eat their pie or drink their milk because they're too busy laughing at my dad while he tries to tell the story of his own funeral. That's such a sweet story, Rick. Thanks, Anna. I love that one. I was there at Tales by the Sea, sitting next to Rick's mom when he told this story, and uh, it was it was really nice to be there with her, remembering that day and all the events. Yeah, yeah. She said, it did happen like that, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so happy Father's Day to all of you out there, and to all the fathers who are with us and who aren't with us. And I want to say happy Father's Day there are several men in my life that were like fathers to me. I had a great father, but then there were other guys that helped shape who I am, and I'm grateful for those guys, too. Which is great, because it made you a good husband. Did it? Yeah. Wow. Happy Father's Day, honey. Oh, thanks, honey. Happy Father's Day, everybody. <laughs>